It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. Hey, here we are again. Back once more. Matt Chatham here with you on the Real Thing Patriots podcast. Excited to be back and doing this. Uh, it always feels a little weird when we got a little extra time between between pods. You know, with the Patriots playing on Thursday a week ago and letting that thing sit and marinate for a while, the ugliness of Thursday night football, and then now really sort of redirecting our attention to the New York Jets. We got a big game ahead of us here with the here in Patriot Nation. It's uh, it's a week where first place, at least, you know, October first place, whatever that's worth, is on the line with both teams sitting at three and two. Um, you know, I, I, I alluded to this on on Twitter, uh, sort of when referring to the pod here and, and what we would do on the real thing this week in sort of an unusual week. Uh, I think I've made my, my feelings known quite clear uh, over the years on what I think of Thursday night football uh, and, and not, not spending a great deal of time on this pod breaking down every play from that Thursday night game because those Thursday night game are scrimmage, games are scrimmages. They're, they really are, guys. It's, it's the middle of the week on a Thursday. Uh, football is a preparation and game plan game. Uh, that's just what that sport's all about. And what are Thursday night football games? They have neither preparation <laughs> or or uh, or or any game plan, and that's really the two elements that make football football. You don't get those in those. So what do you do? You go out and basically scrimmage from the plays that you have in your back pocket, but that you that you haven't practiced for a particular opponent. You just kind of draw it up on the on a back of back of a sheet of paper. Uh, you're, you're studying on the plane as you fly out to the place. You're doing walkthroughs in hotels. You're just uh, you know you're sort of the the dancing bear for the week for for the, for a national audience, but you're really not doing it as you normally would. So it, it was air riddled. Uh, you see a lot of non-Patriot stuff going on in that game, non-Buck stuff too. I mean, quite frankly, it's not like the Patriots were the only ones having the issues. The Bucks certainly weren't immune to it either. You know, drop you know miss snaps, dropping handoffs, you know, just blocks just blown up in the front that you don't normally see it's just ugly it's unfortunate so i don't want to put a ton of stock in that and say how do they fix that problem well it's easy they practice it and it won't look like that again but we'll at least hit here on the the biggest sort of points of emphasis i guess i would call them stuff that that might be relatable stuff that that, that coach belichick will be making you aware of and things he will want to touch on from that game um but before we dive into the specifics and i've got about three or four plays that we'll talk on that uh before we transition into jet stuff stuff um the first of which was sort of this you know the consternation with the patriots it always tends to happen when they don't win by 40 points it was a close game uh at least came became a close game down the stretch Probably a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth out there who like to see the Patriots score 30 every time. They clearly didn't. They just had a 19 game, struggled in the red zone, didn't put up the big points. Offense looked uglier than it obviously usually does. So this sort of, this sort of uh, idea floated. I saw it on Twitter a handful of times. Uh, heard the argument made uh, in print. Uh, I hear it, but read it a couple times. So it kind of said, you know what, it's worth addressing. And it's this idea that, you know, if – if damn it, if Nick Folk had just made those three field goals, the Patriots would be two and three instead of three and two. And I think it's important to understand. Again, we talked earlier about the idea that it's it's a practice and game plan game. It's also a strategy game, and that's really the the other really important leg you have to understand when you evaluate what did or didn't happen in a game. Yes, Nick Folk missed three field goals. That sucks. One of them was an absolute bunny, and he blew it. And and I'm sure the guy feels terrible about it. And there are consequences for him, but you know it's not it's, it's not a Patriot concern. But the bigger issue here is you don't just do the arithmetic and say he won nineteen fourteen. If he'd have made those kicks, then they would have won. Well, no, the strategy would have changed down the stretch. So don't fall for that little that little canard. That's not how it works. You know, clearly uh, when when misses happened uh, or either calculations that a miss might happen it changes your strategy down the stretch the, the Patriots would have treated those last not not just one but two drives the same had one gone through uh, you know the decision to kick or go for it the decision of where 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 and what to do in certain in certain spots there would have changed obviously if it had gone through so you don't just get to tack it on whether or not it went through uh, you have to understand that 
the entire scenario at the end would have been different. Uh, so, no, it's not that. And the other thing here just is a little bit of grace to the guy because I'm, I'm sure Nick Folk feels like hell. Uh, these were not bunnies. There was one that was a bunny. But remember, of the three missed field goals, you know, you can't just presume them on the board. One was 56 yards, and it was windy in Tampa. So 56 yards at a 40-second mark, something like that, before halftime. I mean, yeah, it's just a th- go see if you can kick it and, and, and make it. And it's, a, it's, it's not – it's a highly unlikely. It's like a, a less than fifty percent kick. You know that you're going to make that. Maybe twenty five percent. I don't even know what it is, but it, it's not. It's more of just a eh, send them out there, give it a shot. And I always wonder this. Uh, you know, just being around kickers and sort of the psychological element there is to all this, and so the the, uh, the parallel that I've heard Guskowski make many times. And, and Steve's a guy that you know is is uh, that I know well and golfed with him a handful of times, and he's got a decent golf swing too. Uh, but he he makes that parallel between kicking. And, and golf swing quite a bit, and I think it's pretty accurate. And anyone out there that's you know an amateur golfer like like me, I love the love the sport. Generally, suck at it, but I, I enjoy it. But you know the idea of you you would appreciate the idea of hitting a bad drive, and the way you kind of over, overcompensate the next drive out, you know, or, or it affects. You don't want it to. If you're real good, it doesn't. But I half wondered by sticking Nick Folk out there to make a kick, he was probably not going to make with the 56 yarder, especially. You know, with a loose field and a little bit of breeze, and he's not the strongest like kicker in the NFL. Um, you know, making him grunt for one. You know, to me, it was sort of like that golf analogy where you know you have a forced carry on a tee. Uh, you know, you got to carry it 250, uh, and a lot of people can't hit it 250. So you grunt a little bit, you speed it up. You maybe you snap hook it, you dribble it, whatever it is. But you hit a really, really bad ball. Now you get back out, you know, drive a hole or two later, and there's not a forced carry. It's just a regular ball you need to hit. But you're compensating for the last kick. You just saw yourself snap one hard left, probably overkicking a little bit. And now instead of just grooving it back in your own spot, you're, you're trying to tinker with what happened with the last one. And that looked like what happened on Folk's next loss. It's like, okay, he just really, really, really beat one up on that on that, uh, that Hail Mary of a kick at 56. But then on 49, he misses as well. And, and again... I'm not making excuses from you. Still, you you attempt a 49 yarder, you want to make it. But 49 yarders are still down percentage. These are not in that range. This is you know it's it's a yard from 50. You can do the math, but it's not. Those are not certain kicks, right? So the guy missed a 56 and a 49. Those are two. One is highly unlikely. The other one is less likely, you know. But it's still you're 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 a baller if you make it, you know. Obviously, Guskowski hit a big 48 yarder in the game, and they needed it. But those certainly aren't. Neither of those kicks are sure things. So missing those two. Hmm. But now you go to the third, and that's when I think the psychological element comes in. He, he snap hooked one, missed it badly on the 56, which they may maybe shouldn't have even attempted. Then you then you try to correct your groove, and you miss a different way on the 49. Well, now you're back to bunny time, 31-yarder, and yeah, okay, now the guy's head's all screwed up. So you half wonder if they'd just not attempted the 56 and his first kick was a 49 and he strokes it a different way if he makes the 31. So, again, it's not making excuses necessarily. It's kind of trying to help you understand the thought process that goes through with a lot of those guys, and it's 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 a corrective kind of measure uh, job. You know, they if they're off, they got to figure out why they're off, and they got to tweak it just a little bit. And sometimes attempting something that you otherwise shouldn't have can, can sometimes affect, affect the next kick. So, um, And all that being said, back to the original point, you can't presume any of those onto the, onto the scoreboard. If you're going to do that, then you, you just have to account for the other dozen plays that would have happened in, 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 in response to it as opposed to playing in the situation they were. So don't fall into the trap. I know most of our listeners here are smart. That's why, you, that's why you're drawn to this particular show. But I, I think that's a pretty easy narrative to, to bat away. Um, one of the next things here was, uh, just understanding the crazy place, the stuff that was so wildly different than what you usually see the Patriots do. I wouldn't fret about it. And I'll point out a couple one. This is probably the biggest one you'll see. Uh, and it was Brady throwing that bad pick, uh, on a wide open Chris Hogan on a crossing route in the first quarter. Uh, no pressure. So, you know, I know, uh, pressure and we're going to talk more about that as far as offensive line protection and you know, the full, full protection backs, tight ends, whatever it is. It was, there was not a protection issue. That thing came off play action. Uh, guy was wide open on the crossing route. Uh, came out of hand, Tom's hand a little funny, wobbled a little bit, was hot, but it was not only high, but high and behind him. So, you know, he missed him 
two different ways that you never see, you rarely see, excuse me, Tom miss. So it's just like, Hey man, that, that looks like, that looks like a Thursday practice. <laughs> you know, it looks like something where the sharpness of two more days of work and the sharpness of timing and the sharpness of, of typical football, you, you don't see that. But I was willing to just sort of chalk that up to, eh, you know, there you go. And I think uh, I don't have the stat sheet in front of me for the season, but I believe Tom sits at 11 and one. That kind of sucks. You know, I, I think, uh, for a lot of fans out there that, that that do like the stat watch maybe a little more than I do, uh, one the one thing I do kind of like to hang the hat on with with Brady is Tommy has has become this incredible touchdown interception radio ratio kind of guy. Just stupid, whatever it was, twenty eight two I think it was last year. Now he started at eleven zero, now it's eleven one I think uh, somewhere in that range. But getting him into this twenty to one kind of spot, well more like fifteen to one kind of spot is uh is rarefied air so you hate to see a, a dirty one on a thursday when he misses a ball that he would not normally miss in a game at least not in that manner uh and it wasn't like some great protection thing he threw way away from the receiver and basically threw to a, to a spot where the safety could get it and the receiver couldn't so sucks that that kind of blows up the stat line for for the year but it is what it is. It's not like you have to have conversations about Tom Brady's accuracy or something. That's that's not an issue uh, for this team, nor will it uh, probably ever be. Uh, now, this helps me transition into protection issues. And again, there's some validity to it. Your eyes aren't lying to you. There are moments where the protection hasn't been good enough. They've talked about it pretty extensively already this week. And a lot of the conversation, quite frankly, has come from backs and tight ends, too. And, and I know, you know, again, I, Twitter is not the greatest compass in the world, but I know a lot of people like to too hot take on that particular subject they see one replay that the broadcast gives them and then they presume that that guy must have been missing stuff all day you know like what you know nate soldier got two really bad calls against him uh one where he's basically contacting the man's back it's like a club against the back and gets called for hold shouldn't have been knocked the guy down clean block gets a holding call there and then he gets the crazy uh a personal foul thing for a peel back block on just a, a regular cut block off the edge. It was crazy. Two terrible calls, but all of a sudden and it's natural that, that that sends antennas high, at least in, in social media world, you start seeing, Oh, Selder's doing it again. And not realizing a bo- a and B were both really bad calls and they don't relate to whether or not he's given up just straight pressures or sacks or whatever in the regular stuff. So, you know, I, it was something that a lot of people asked about. I was supposed to go back and look and check, and I did. I went and watched all the protection stuff uh, from the game. Uh, and here, here's your three sacks. So this is – now we're into we're, – we're five weeks through, uh, and the, the, big, the big fancy quote that everyone loves to rely upon now is this notion of high sacks. It's like, wow, the sack numbers are higher than what they otherwise – have been in years past at this point much higher he's getting hit more we all know that that tom has the from the reporting uh with uh i think it was either tom Curran and mike girardi both those guys were kind of on this thing during the week uh but uh they had mentioned uh an ac thing so tom's been dealing with something scott zolak uh you know zoe and i do the show together the patriots this week uh during during the week there for craft sports he had he had apparently been saying this on the broadcast i'd missed it but he believed that it had dated back to a julius peppers hit in the carolina game and that tom had just re-aggravated by taking a couple weird falls in tampa but Either way, he's dealing with something, whatever it happens to be, uh, with his left shoulder, Don throwing shoulder. So he gets a maintenance day this week, but I, I highly doubt it's going to be an issue going forward as far as you know inability to play or anything like that. So it's just maintenance, dealing with stuff, and in this day and age, you have to report them, and when you're 40, you get a day off. That's a good thing. Uh, but back to sort of what the, the very specific protection issues in the Tampa game. And again, if they translate, if they sort of move forward, the ones that are related to sacks uh, are, are these three. And I think it was really telling that, yes, three sacks go down in the stat sheet. All three, to me, don't really relate to a guy getting beat. It was more mental weird stuff or just sort of breakdowns, Thursday stuff. So the first sack was uh, the McDonald def- from the defensive tackle, comes through on the inside. He leaks through on the right side on what was uh, sort of short boot motion. So short boot is like, you know, the old Jake Plummer, like stretch out to the, you know, stretch as far as you can and, and look you know, the play fakes on like a really deep outside run. And you, you know, zip back and run all the way across the formation. Like that's hard full boot. Half boot, like little half roll, that's where you kind of fake at the tackle position and the roll just comes back a yard or two. So, you know, Brady's not going to be doing the, the dramatic stuff, the big mobile quarterback boots. But they do the short boot a lot, a little, you know, I shouldn't a lot, but from time to time. And that was just meant to be a, a fake for sort of a, a B-gap kind of run, to believe Gillisley on that play. And Tom rolls back. And uh, 
when you do boot action as sort of offensive line, and again, boot action is where you put the ball out, fake it, and then you kind of roll with your back to the defense back in the other direction. So it's meant to get everyone going one way, then you roll back the other, and usually there's receivers crossing from the direction you started the original boot. And on that particular play, McDonald leaks through on the right side between uh, Shaq Mason and, uh, and Andrews at the center position. So what happens is you get uh, elephants on parade is kind of the phrase that, that, that we often hear in, uh, in defense, from defensive perspective. When you look across at the, the other, at the offensive lineman and you see elephants on parade, that's sort of when you, know, you see elephants with a, with a trunk holding a tail, you know, and, and, and you, know, you see a line of them. That's, that's, I guess that's what the, the, the phrase is supposed to be re- referring to. But it was something we were always taught. When you see offensive linemen with backs to one another, which basically they've turned all their shoulders to the sidelines, you see elephants on parade, it's usually phony, right? Because usually they have to angle themselves back at least to a, a, to a defense player a little bit. You kind of smell shit, the old, the old phrase. When you see elephants on parade, they're not blocking straight to the sideline. There's probably something rolling back the other way. Uh, and on that situation, both Shaq and Andrews were elephants on parade. They turned entirely and looked like neither of them uh, in probably a, a mental error by one of the two. I don't know which. I mean, we don't know who was supposed to get who in that particular pickup. But McDonald just goes right through the, the gap of the two of them. And, and both, neither of the two address him. You know, no hand comes back on either. So it just looks like a bust. It just looks like, hey, Thursday football, they don't really do that play A very often. And B, you rarely see somebody just go through unblocked. So it wasn't a, a matter of someone getting beat. So it's not, what's wrong with the protection? It's like that was a hard sell play action role play with Brady. A, that they don't do much. And B, that was blown in a way you rarely see. So, you know. How are you going to fix that? I don't know. It probably won't happen again. But anyway, on to the next one. Uh, there's the second sack of the group was uh, they went empty on third and one, and, which, again, I, I don't love the play call anyway. I think you already know that from sort of my preferences here from doing the show for, for a while now. But I, I don't love third and one gun empty anyhow. I think you've, you've spent a lot on these backs. You've got good offensive linemen. You've got a diverse package to move people around. I think there's so many different ways to attack a play other than empty on third and one for this reason. So it ends up being – uh, it ends up being Gerald McCoy who gets a sack, and he hasn't had much this year. Uh, but basically, they get a four-man rush on empty, and empty, you have it's just third and one, so you're running a couple sticks routes. I think I believe there was two, maybe a third element that was at the sticks. Maybe Hogan Amendola White, I don't know who it was, but three different guys where there were three different options for Tom at the sticks. Well, were they covered up immediately? So they took him away right off the bat. So then you're sitting here and gun uh, with just a yard to go. That's that's not normal protection. That's not normal, you know, how long do you hold it and wait for the progression to happen? It's like literally a step back into the thing and you turn. And if those three are covered up, the place kind of dead. And it is. So what Brady ends up doing is just, rushing forward trying to get that one yard and the baby giraffe didn't get it on that one you know we love tom's pocket mobility it's become great but the one thing he doesn't have is that sort of first step burst to get downhill and get one there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league that might have gotten that conversion and we're not talking about a sack in this instance uh brady gets a sack so uh it's sort of a weak sack mccoy just falls forward the guy that's blocking mccoy is actually shaq mason and jack shaq had stunted him at the line he hadn't gone anywhere it was a good block but you know when the quarterback steps up past you where you've done your pass set and the guy just falls off on it it's you know technically it's a sack hey now again patriots have now given up two sacks a sack a protection problem not really doesn't really tell much of the story there. And there are moments when I love to see Brady run forward. I, when it's third and one and, and they're really hard protecting the sticks, it's not the best moment because you don't have the element of surprise. Everyone's kind of sitting on that. So, you know, that was just – I think that sack's more of a function of the play, play choice. And they covered – Tampa did a good job of covering it up well early, and then you're not going to have a pocket. That's not what that play is for. Um, third sack, and this is the rarity. This is as rare as either of those other two are sort of outliers. This third one is even more so. Um, Either Brady or, again, I, I hate to point fingers in this because I, I, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say I don't know, but I can tell you the options here. Uh, what the play was is it was a play-action play. Uh, sort of a handoff motion here to, to James White. And it comes off the outside. I think they've got four down uh, and, a, and a linebacker looping around to the weak side. So this was the blitz, linebacker off the ball blitz to the weak side, or at least the open side, the side without a tight end. And they blew it. And 
you the first thing I, I think I might have even tweeted about this is that, that was odd because you don't usually see Brady miss blitz pickup, right? And uh, in other words, if if somebody from off the ball is blitzing, he's quick to go to the hot route. You know, the route that's coming in, basically filling in the vacancy of where 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 the person that's rushing is leaving from. So that he's the best ever at that kind of thing. He just reads defenses, goes where the new hole is. But what was unique about this play is they had a play action element in it. So what that means is when Brady's back is turned uh, and doing a, a, a fake, he can't see the blitz coming, right? Obviously, usually those blitz moments are when he's in drop back. He's straight drop back or he's in gun spread where he's seeing everything and he sees that little, you know, he sees the rush coming. What the linebacker did a great job of here is not leaving until – Tom's back was turned. Tom never saw him. So I don't know. And again, it's just the, the linebacker from off the ball inside the, the will spot, I'm assuming, uh, which is the weak side linebacker spot, is uh, timed it just great and comes around off the outside. And I couldn't tell with, you know, with a, any certainty if, if Cannon should have pulled off on that and picked it up. Or if he's just simply the unblocked man in a pressure, and sometimes then that's on the quarterback. But the quarterback can't hot read because their play action is backs to it, right? So those are the moments where, hey, the defense got you. It's, it's the perfect time. If you've got the quarterback with his back, he can't see it to make the hot read. And again, I don't, I don't know if, really, if, if Cannon had popped out on that, he would have been letting up off what was right in front of him. And I'm not so sure Sha- Shaq Mason had that. So they're they're blocking down. Shaq's got something, I think, to the inside of him. And Cannon's got something to the inside of him. So it, they block down, which shortens the corner a little bit for that, that linebacker who's peeling around. And again, you sort of end up with a loss. But now you've got three sacks in the game. And now you have that stat that can become a headline. It can be put in a graphic or can become a talking thing for the next week. Oh, shit. Patriots gave up three sacks. Now the sack total for the year is blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, and all three are really unrelated to normal drop-back pass pocket stuff. It's it's different. So, um, you know, you'd still like to execute those three plays better, yes, but are those three things, are, you know, practicing those three plays going to be relative to how you do or don't back, uh, you know, pass protect for Brady in the following week against the Jets? No, not really. Those are three weirdo plays. None of the three may, may show up again, or you'll just do them a different way. The stuff that you want to be worried about is the four-man rush against, uh, you know, sort of full protection look, and how are you doing against those? So I think it's it's fair to say that um, two things happen here. There have been individual losses. There have been, you know, Soldier has given some up, uh, and uh, Shaq Mason has given some up. Uh, Tooney has given some up at left guard. Even Andrews has given some pressures. Uh, Cannon has not been as sharp as we usually see him being, but. I don't think there's a culprit there in the five. I don't think it's fair to say it. If you simply go watch all of them, I don't think there's a guy that's losing at a greater rate than the other necessarily. Maybe, maybe slightly so, but not where there's like an outlier dude that's getting beat more. I know people gravitate towards Soldier. They think it's Soldier. I don't think the tape bears that out. I don't think it does at all. And I think one of the biggest reasons that you should understand this part is kind of my next big point here that I wanted to kind of explain to people so you could better explain it, or at least also better you know explain it to friends, explain it to water cooler stuff, explain it to your spouse, whichever one, husband or wife is that happens to be listening to this now. Uh, explain it to your kids, whatever. So I think this is probably the most often misunderstood and mis- missed portion of pass protection in the NFL, especially because we've you know sort of fallen in love with the bean counters out there that love to say, well, there were 75 plays and they were pressured on 16% of them, and last year it was 32%, so the protection is better. Well, is it? I don't know. So Because you have to go play by play, and you're trying to accomplish different things in plays. The problem is with sort of stat sheet bean counting, pressure, no pressure, is there was a different play call that went with each and every one. So when you get a pressure at the six-second mark on a play, it's different than if you get you know, pressure at, at the three-second mark on, on three-step dropping, 90, 90 series, they call it, because there's a different goal in each one. So I'll try to better explain this and kind of give you a sense of what the goal is matters in time, and, and how you're sort of attempting to achieve that goal matters whether or not you should be comparing them as apples to apples. So when you say, oh, X percent of, of 70 passes were pressures, uh, well, if you call the same 70 plays the next time and the percentage changes, then you have a point. If you're trying to do other things, there are certain looks where a pressure is kind of sort of expected. You don't want the quarterback hit necessarily, but you kind of expect you're going to get him in your face because you're risking other things. And here's why. Your New England Patriots offense, here's what they are, and this is what makes them unique. They have the best quarterback ever. We know that. 
bar none. I think we're past the point of even debating that point. Uh, Brady is what he is. He's, he's as good as a technician back there as there's ever been. Now that said, because you have such a tremendous asset in that, what he does best is pick apart defenses. And what you need to pick apart defenses is as many assets out into the out into the pattern as possible. And that's really been the Patriots' mo in years past. In 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 the more recent uh, past, it's been more shorter passes with maybe a single deep element to try to stretch one particular area. Sometimes that was your tight end because Gronk's great in the seams. Sometimes it was one. You know, a year ago it was a lot of Hogan stuff, vertical. But now what's changed is they've got two vertical elements. They've got Cooks and Hogan, and then sometimes a tight end when he's up uh, to stretch vertically. And what that means is they're more apt to need more time. They want longer pockets to let longer routes develop. I mean, that's obvious. If if you're running a 20-yard route, it takes a second or two more than it takes to run a six-yard route. I mean, it's just, it's just obvious, right? But I, I think people miss that point that the, the amount of time you – are going to have or need is is a direct function of how deep you're trying to run your routes. And if you're trying to run deeper routes, most teams that don't have Tom Brady keep more people in the block. The Patriots don't. There's your key. So it's called five man protection. They have different names for it. Solid. I don't don't want to go into all that. That's probably too much weeds for for a listener, especially since we can't visually kind of show it to you. But if you have five offensive linemen, right, a center, two guards, two tackles, five guys each and every time that would be sort of the skeleton of any protection. Most teams in the NFL don't run five if they run deep pass patterns. They run six. You know, In other words, they keep the tight end in also, or they keep one back in also and let the tight end go out. Or they keep in two backs and let the tight end go out. Or they keep in back and tight end and make it seven-man protection. Because with seven-man protection and your quarterback being the, the eighth guy, that still means three guys out in the pattern. And then the, you know, the back can release late, so then you've got an extra one, a fourth receiver out in the pattern. The Patriots are unique in that they send everyone out. And everyone out usually immediately. Those are rare occasions where maybe you got a Von Miller game or you know, you've got someone you really have to chip for on the edge where the backs chip first before releasing. But this is really a team. If you go back and watch him play and play out for the guys, they their strength is sending everyone out and letting Tom sort of be the protection. Tom get rid of it before they get to him. It's Yes, of course, guys have to block for him well. But they have a much different charge before them to the Patriots offensive line than most offensive lines in the league. Most offensive lines in the league, if they're blocking for a downfield passer with a guy that wants vertical routes, they get the sixth or seventh guy almost always. Downfield teams don't usually five-man protect. This one does because they got Tom Brady. And let's put it this way. Josh McDaniels and Dante and, and Bill, uh, Dante Skarnacki at the O-line and Bill obviously with the, the full team look, they don't feel the need to keep in extra elements because what does that do? That gives Tom less options out there. It creates less, you know, fewer decisions. For, for the secondary to make. And he wants as many people out there as possible. He wants them to favor to one or two or three parts of the pattern and then go back to the other couple that are available. That's what they want to do. That is their decision. And neither of those three people, the, the OC, the, the line coach, and the head coach, have felt the need to max protect to get those things done. And that's the decision they've made. They know they got a 40-year-old guy, and they're comfortable that the 40-year-old guy can get out of their hand more often than not or that they can protect long enough with five, uh, coupled with him, you know, as a quarterback to, to still get it done. And now that Tom has the AC issue, you know, the, the little sh- minor shoulder sprain thing or whatever, I think they're more apt to not necessarily make every protection now a six, uh, you know, adding in one of those two extra people. Uh, and if they did it, that'd be kind of normal. That'd be what most people did and do. And then when you start trying to judge how well offensive lines are protection, do it likes for likes. Do six-man protections against other six-man protections paired with the same kind of pass patterns. If you're talking quick passing, well, then, yeah, it's different. If you're talking, you know, eight-man protections versus five, and then you're trying to sort of quarterback count the time they had the ball in their hands, well, yeah, the eight-man protection should be a hell of a lot longer. The the five-man shouldn't, you know. It's just a one-on-one drill for four guys when it's when it's a five-man protection. You have an uncovered center usually that can help one of them, so then three of the four in straight one-on-one. You shouldn't be able to get past four seconds with that scenario with any pass rush situation. So, again, it's not, it's not straight making excuses for the O-line. I think in one-on-one situations – Pretty much all of them that can be a little bit better. But that said, this is a team, this is an offense that's been, except in your weirdo Thursday night games, they've been over 30 points every week. They're right up there. Uh, and, you know, so 
I don't think that this is a kind of group that needs to dramatically change things. If they want to change philosophies because they simply say, hey, Tom's a little too nicked and we can't get him hit, then to get those deep elements, you're going to have to see six or seven man protection. You're going to have to see more people stay in. And then all of a sudden, it'll be protected for you much better. And you'll say, wow, oh, they're, they're playing better. Well, they're just protecting it differently because they feel like they've got some other issue they need to address. Uh, the other thing to keep an eye on here is I, I, I always am, am hesitant to even acknowledge this stuff, but it's part of it. It's just the individual stuff getting blended in with the team stuff. When you see, uh, and I'll, I'll sort of flesh that out. That might not be clear exactly what I'm talking about, but there's team blocking on offensive line play. And what that means is two-man games from a defensive from a defensive tackle and defensive end played by a two-man protection between a guard and tackle. That, to me, if you want to talk about issues that they're, the Patriots offensive line are having, is the bigger one. Uh, they have not been playing games particularly well in the last couple of weeks, Carolina and Tampa. Uh, and that would be a bigger, hey, uh, the Patriots really got to address this better. The twisting, the the pick game between the tackle and end, that has let up some of the hits and pressures that you want to fix. And that, to me, is less about get player X in there to block better. It's more about they haven't worked particularly well together on some of these exchange plays. So, And that doesn't – it's not a solder – comment it's not you know i know that's what people want to make it into it's all about nate or something no i think that's the pass off between nate and joe hasn't been clean um and i as surprisingly you know going back not expecting that i know that one people wanted me to look more at the left side i thought the right side was was something that struggled with that the little exchange between Shaq and Mar- marcus just as much as the left side did so again this is a it's a potpourri kind of deal there's a whole lot of stuff in there some smells good some smells bad some you shouldn't be detecting at all because it's you know they've basically put it in the formula that if you want 20 and 25 yard routes and you're only going to protect with five guess what your quarterback's going to get hit it's not something they're doing wrong it's that if tom wants pockets that extend past into the four second and five second range and he's only got five people there kind of have to expect you're going to get hit and he has to do a good job of falling with the hits or taking them the right way or just simply releasing it before it gets done if you hold it past that with only five man protections you are going to get hit and he's the smartest quarterback that's ever played this game he knows that right so it's it's a lot of people sort of being concerned for him as opposed to he himself being concerned and you hear that you know when you listen to tom if you listen carefully it's it's not colorful but he'll say it this is football. It's a physical game. This is going to happen. And that's not just a way of covering for offensive line play. It's it's acknowledging that they're also making offensive scheme choices that we're probably going to get them hit. You know, this is not an offense that wanted to tr- just dramatically change itself because Tom had a birthday. They're going to do what they're going to do until they feel like there's some limitation with a guy that makes them have to six-man and seven-man protect each time. They don't think they're there, so don't expect much change. Um, so moving on here to sort of the final thing from, from Tampa, I would say, uh, I would say the, this is the defensive point of the day, pretty solid day overall, a uh, couple leaks in the dam, nothing that I want to get into too much specifics until we start talking jets, but I would simply say the one big, bad negative play that you wanted to get rid of was the Deshaun Jackson play late, and it was a catch-and-run play on the backside of a bleed three-by-one, but basically an extended wide receiver. Deshaun Jackson, one of the fastest guys in the league, at least the receiver position, out there, extended, runs a quick slant on Malcolm Butler. Should end up being about a five- or six-yard catch, maybe seven, eight, whatever. Nothing that's too huge. But Deron Harmon took a little bit of a bad angle. It ends up being something where it's hard to critique the guy because Deshaun's so damn fast. But he got in space, miscalculated a little bit on the angle he took in, and all of a sudden he's off and gone. And the angle that the safety takes kind of cuts off Malcolm's ability to close on it and make the tackle at the space he wanted to. So ends up being a huge play, basically the biggest offensive play of the day for for, for Tampa. Uh, secondary tackling is usually a strength of this group, but at least your one big one there had nothing to do with mental busts or the all that Stephon Gilmore focus of previous weeks and all that. So that big play was largely physical. And uh, as we now start transitioning into sort of Jets talks, uh, it's not something that, that they have. They don't have a burner like Deshaun Jackson. They don't have a, a catch and, oh gosh, let's just get this guy down kind of dude. Uh, 
I, I did forget one particular thing that I wanted to hit on here. I touched on it in Twitter. I, I think I touched it on Nesson in some of our, our, our post stuff. But the, the Cook sequence plays, I'm, I'm flipping back the offensive side. Sorry to make that a little confusing here, just bouncing through my notes. But uh, Brandon Cook's had a, a two-play sequence in that Tampa game that I just want you to keep your eye on, people. Uh, it's something I've been hammering, so maybe this is more just confirmation bias. But I'm trying to get to a point where you see that one breakout game where Cooks has a seven, eight, nine catch type day that that that's Antonio Brown esque. And why do I say Brown esque? What makes him unique to your Julio Jones, to your you know uh, uh, Green and in 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 Cincy or, or some of your other top end guys is that. Cooks can, I believe, be a lot like Brown in, in, in Pittsburgh and that he can make those high-volume play or high-volume sort of final production numbers come from several different places. And in Tampa, he had a couple drops on slants that were really early missed opportunities. I th- think that kept that from getting crazy, you know, having it be one of his big days. What they did is in the second half, they went back to the sequence stuff. And I want to touch on this because I want you to look for it if they get one of these again with him. They run a smoke screen. It was basically a look pass where basically Brady just turns and throws it to him and guys get out in a hurry and try to block in front of him. So it's just a, hey, get the, get the ball in our guy's hands and see what he can do with it. And this is, remember, after he'd already dropped a, a, a slant or some sort of quick sticks kind of play earlier in the game. Uh, so why that matters is the smoke play was was then – immediately followed by a deep over. And that's the air quote Antonio Brown part. And that's how Antonio Brown works. Screenplays, a little reverse, something like that. And then your thoughts for him change a little bit. And then they gash you with a big deep downfielder. And that's what I want to see more of from, from, from Brandon Cooks. The, the sequenced plays, the, the complimentary thing that comes after the, the moment of success. The deep comeback that we talked about a lot in the last couple games uh, prior to Tampa where in those got to have a moment, stretch, 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 because you're trying to prevent Cooks from running over the top of you with some sort of go route fade thing or whatever. And you hit the real deep comeback. And then once you've hit the real deep comeback, now you got them biting on it and you can do some other stuff. Deep digs, the fade comes back into play, maybe screen with them, whatever it is. But this was the two-play sequence, two of the bigger plays in the game offensively for the Patriots on a rather, on a rather mild overall day. Uh, that deep over, which is Antonio Brown's play. That's The deep over is, is, is one that when I've broken down Steelers games in the past and games leading up to, to Patriots-Steelers, you always see that play where it's one thing to have a crossing route that, that goes at seven or eight yards from one side of the formation all the way to the other. It's another when it's run almost to the opposite pylon. You know, the opposite, he runs from outside one set of numbers and then completes a ball 25 yards downfield outside the other set of numbers. That's that's what deep over essentially means. So when you start seeing Brandon Cooks hitting on sequence plays where something gets you to bite on the other thing and then it creates vulnerabilities in other parts of the defense, that's when you get hot and bothered, right? If you're a Patriots fan, that's what you want to see. You really hope that it grows to that later in the year. It's nice to have one of those two-play sequences a game. You're really cooking with gas if you can get multiple. You know, two of those uh, two of those two-play sequences or three of those two-play sequences in a game, and all of a sudden you're seeing a guy have 150-yard games with a score or two, and fantasy football uh, people will, will be nice and lubricated <laughs> as well because that guy can get you juicy if he starts doing stuff like that but anyway just wanted to have your eyes up uh, for that to to sort of, of keep an eye out for for cooks and as as that continues to grow i thought it was a step forward to get one of those sequences but also a step back and that some of the op- opportunities i think were pulled back off the table after the drops so now we move to jets and the jets are three and two it's jets week obviously you guys all know that i have uh, my own little uh, career history with those guys uh playing a few times uh, playing there for for a bit down in, in New York, and uh, I think it helps me with my perspective understanding how much angst there is about the Patriots, how how frustrating it can be to, to, to game plan against them, to always be chasing them. Uh, it's, it's obviously a team that this year had so very little expectations with them. Uh, and that's, you know, it made it for sort of a weird year down there. Two years ago, we're talking about, you know, uh, the st- new staff is in and they're they're you know it's it's the big moment Todd Bowles is going to get his big shot here he's earned it with great defensive play down in Arizona he's coming up he's he's changing things over he's got a very veteran offense with Fitz 
and Marshall and, and Decker and all that stuff. They move the ball well. And then they have the veteran fallout year a year ago. Now they're going to clean house. It looks like they're, they're angling for a new quarterback uh, in, in next year's draft. People are doing sort of the hot takey stuff as much as the Patriots with their 16-0 and possibility, talking 0-16 in New York. And, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, it, it does look like a roster that just got gutted. Uh, and I kind of, you know, and I don't mean this as, as too derogatory. It's just more of a what it is. Uh, and again, when I start talking about average players, I, I, I fully disclose this. I mentioned this on every one. I was one, you know, I'm not, I was not a star player. It's not, I'm not trying to put myself above any of these guys, but when you look at this Jets roster, they certainly still got some defensive stars, but at least on the offensive side of the ball, it, it's kind of like that old uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer thing, the Island of Misfit Toys. I look at it as it's, it's career, career, uh, career resurrection for a lot of people involved and that doesn't mean they're not good pros they are but it's a lot of resurrection guys trying to play in roles greater than the ones they had before so Jeremy Curley who's who's been a, a fourth wide receiver role kind of guy has had some success against the Patriots in years past other or other sort of lives as life as a jet is now back there uh, Robbie Anderson, nice pro, but now pushed into a one or two spot. Um, you know, Jermaine Curse, we obviously know the history he has at Seattle against the Patriots with some big, big catch in the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, he, he's part of a trade there in the absence of Deckard. They let Deckard go, they let uh, Marshall go. And Jermaine Curse, who's always been a role player there in that Seattle offense, gets his big opportunity to more be a star standout. And I think you find out in this offense now he was right as as a complimentary good couple play games guy. He's he's not going to be a six seven eight catch over a hundred yards each week kind of dude. So it, it tells you that hey he was he was properly slotted out there in Seattle. It's nice to get a little better opportunity here, but it just hasn't changed into some dramatically different role. Uh, maybe they wanted that, but it just hasn't been the case. Josh McNown, I think he's prop McCown, excuse me, he's been the right guy to guide this offense. Uh, I, I watched her sort of my review for this game. I watched the Browns game a week ago and the Jags game a week from that. And in my breakdown, it's just like, hey, man, this is a tough dude. Um, makes mostly start smart decisions, but in the moments where it doesn't go right, you know, he's he's a pretty good bounce back guy. He'll have a bad series or two, or they'll have a sequence of three and outs, but he doesn't go in the tank. And I think that's probably what you need when you don't have a, a ton of explosive players. Uh, and when you sort of look down that offense, you know, it's it's they don't have a lot of obvious explosion. Um, Austin Safarian Jenkins, again, the, the whole idea of the Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, it's a reclamation project there for him as well. Uh, a former high draft pick uh, out of Washington, uh, big tight end, 6'6 kind of guy going to be the next uh, Jimmy Graham kind of thing down there in Tampa. And it didn't work out, some with injuries, some with non-production. Uh, he has a suspension here to start the year with the Jets. He comes back, has a big week a week ago. And I think, you know, he's probably the closest thing to a mismatch guy the Patriots will have to sort of account for. A bigger tight end, a physical mismatch kind of dude. And he's actually had uh, success in what I would call the big three of tight ends. Uh, you know, it's it's – the, the seam stuff, where is he a vertical seam guy? Can he make the big back shoulder or just simply outrun you in the seam over over athlete kind of guy, taller over the linebacker or safety, make that catch? Yes, that's one of the big three elements you find from the more explosive tight ends. Two is is can he be the, the outlet, the six-catch guy, the jerk stuff, the, the, the pressure release kind of player where you see a lot of tight end routes hit? Yeah, he's had that already now as well. And the third portion is you feel so strongly about him that he can win in those other two elements that once you get in the red zone, you can isolate the guy and just have you know one-on-one extended wide receivers sort of the Gronk as tight end slash receiver kind of thing. And, yeah, he's one on that now too. So all of a sudden, Safarian Jenkins, who has, was a bit of a disappointment down in Tampa, didn't do much with the team late last year for the Jets, all of a sudden has shown all three of those elements in this new sort of cobbled-together offense and it's like, oh, okay, that that might be a guy to draw some coverage attention in an offense that doesn't have a ton of personnel that makes you think you would, would shift to anyone, really. So, And we'll talk about what sort of that philosophy is and how I think facing the Jets is a little bit different than what the Patriots have had in their opponents to this point. Um, so uh, going sort of through the rest of sort of the who they have kind of thing, uh, Bill Isle Powell banged up, uh, but a guy that I think most pros respect. He's a hard runner. He's been in sort of a dual role throughout his career, even when, even back to when Chris Ivory was still there. Uh, then it was with Forte here, and now Forte's banged up with a foot injury. Toe, I think it is. Uh, shouldn't be a part of this game. Uh, but Powell now is banged up himself, and that sort of shifts the attention 
expectedly so. We'll, we'll see again. This is a podcast being taped early in the week on game week. But uh, this young guy, Elijah, number 25, Elijah McGuire, six-round pick for the Jets, uh, had a huge explosive run. Uh, I believe it was a Jags game. I'm not mixing up the two. But had a couple explosive plays and then had one big breakout run. Um, and if you look back at the Jags game in particular, uh, this is sort of a theme that has been consistent with the Jets. Yes, they're 3-2. and two. No, they haven't played great opponents. Uh, they got knocked on pretty hard by the Raiders at a time where they still had Derek Carr, and I think Hope was a little higher there in Oakland. Um, but they've got a division win now, obviously, over the Dolphins. Uh, they have basically lingered at 20 points being their ceiling. Yes, they scored 23 against the Jags, but that third or the, that, that extra three points comes by way of a field goal in overtime where they essentially, I want to say it was the fourth drive, maybe the third of overtime, but basically using up almost the entire overtime period to get that final three points. In regulation, this is a 20-point offense at best, and that's the major problem they have going in against the Patriots. They're tough, smart, aggressive, great underdog story relative to the NFL where I think people are looking at this team and couldn't win anything. Uh, but they've scrapped out wins against some, in, in, in truthfulness, relatively not explosive teams. The Jags are sort of the, the Jekyll and Hyde team you can't figure around. They've had some big blowout wins against otherwise good opponents, beating up on some people. And so it's like, wow, the Jags are great. But then the Jags in that Jets game kind of looked like what you thought, you know, on the, on the sort of uh, the underside of the swell, you know, not, not a great day, you know. And they, they end up losing 23-20. Uh, to the Jets so you know they beat an up and down Jags team and then they they beat uh, a Browns team that was kind of a hard football game to watch quite frankly but you have to at least respect them and respect the job that Todd Bowles is doing by 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 scratching out these wins and, and playing tough and at least playing stretch smart football uh, which I think is is really the mo of this team as you look at it there are not explosive stars they kind of just sit in the bushes and wait for some big break in the Jags game it was actually the Bilal Powell run where nobody touched him down and he ends up standing up and running for 80 yards so it's sort of capitalizing on some stupid you know thing on the other side you didn't you didn't tag the guy down uh, it looked like he was down no one did he does a smart play stands up that ends up for you know a huge chunk of their run production on the on the day the other one is the mcguire run mcguire has his big bust out moment big touchdown there one other explosive play and that's really ends up being other than one other sort of slow progressive drive that was all the offense for the day uh, and then they, they cobble together a final field goal off of, of great field position in the overtime period. But that's who you're dealing with if you're the Patriots. So why is it, in my view, sort of important to sort of frame them that way? Because it's a lot of guys basically across the board that are in full-time roles that often aren't other than this season and the crazy thing the Jets have going here is sort of a position themselves for the draft kind of year with a quarterback change. Um, and that's obviously a next year thing, but you got to make it through the year. So beyond just the players themselves that have new roles, uh, you got a first-time offensive coordinator there in John Morton. And I'm going back watching these two games, trying to figure, okay, whose tree is this guy a part of? You know, who he's a wide receivers coach for, I believe, like the last six years ish or so. Yeah, last six years he's been a wide receiver coach in the NFL, but he's never been a coordinator at the pro level. This is his first shot at it. Been a coordinator at US, USC prior to getting the receiver gigs in the NFL, but six years as a receiver coach. And all of a sudden you get your bump up, and what are you dealing with? You know, trying to cobble together offense here with a, a journeyman quarterback that's a, a smart vet, but he's not a, not a franchise QB kind of dude. And you've worked with receiver groups at other places, but that have been above and beyond what you're dealing with now. So you can't be a, you know, if that's your, your sort of – uh, reference point, the receiver group, you think, you know, spread it out offensive guy. No, it hasn't really been that for, for John Morton. You don't have the horses to do that kind of offense. So it's much more progressive run, run, play action, the occasional shot play to curse, uh, the occasional shot play to Robbie Anderson, uh, you know, here and there getting a play to Jenkins, uh, Safarian Jenkins, whatever the whole full name is there, three names. Uh, and just kind of working the way down the ball down the field and trying to capitalize on 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 field position wins that your defense gets you. So I I sort of tried to run through sort of spin the dial there and everything you have going on with that with that Jets offense. Um, they have an issue much greater than the Patriots, and that's why I think it, with protection. I think that's why it's always important to not get too caught up in what you're dealing with and understand your opponent has their own issues as well. Uh, Josh McCown got hit a lot, a lot against the Jags. So if I'm thinking sort of protection issues here with the Patriots, I think 
uh, I'm sorry, going at the other team's protection issues. I, I think this is a quarterback that should get hit a lot by the Patriots. I don't think you have to max max cover against McCown. I think you can go with four each and every time and occasionally pressure him as well because he's not a get-it-out, distributed guy uh, You know, at, at anywhere near the level, obviously, the guy across from him in Brady. But I also think because he's got a little bit of escapability, a little bit of athleticism, obviously Belichick is, has hammered on this point in, the, in his press conferences this week, which if he's making a point of it in the, in the press conferences, that means he's also saying it to the guys back in, in team meetings, which means that he thinks that basically their ability to keep drives alive or rest in, 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 in McCown's feet, not to do some Deshaun Watson thing, not to even do a Newton thing and go grab 30 from you on an escape play but just to get five or six and to keep the sticks moving. I think he certainly does have that ability. So you have to have some pocket awareness around him that you don't let him extend plays after nothing play, nothing play, and then he gets four you know, and five and is able to, to sort of squeeze by his sticks and keep a drive alive. So that's kind of what you're dealing with from that offense. And why is – I framed it all that way for a very specific purpose because it's basically my educated guess from having been with Bill – that when you have that kind of offense of personnel and that kind of staff behind them, uh, you're not going to be doing the thing that is usually said about Belichick defenses, which is they're going to take away the best thing you do. You're, they're going to take away at least your top player, maybe your top two, and make you beat them with ways you're uncomfortable doing. Now, what that says when you say that phrase, take away the best thing you do, to take away something, that usually means double it, right? Or it usually means put best asset and help element to that person to make sure they're not getting catches. In and out them, left, right. In and out them, high, low. Uh, jam them at the line, then take them locked later. But, you know, the takeaway things, that's usually what it means. And you got to sort of pick that guy. Now, if you're looking at the Jets' offense, who's that guy? I, I don't think defensively it's the kind of offense approach that you're willing to go double someone down in, down out. Or maybe you just change the double play to play. But there isn't a we got to stop blank to keep the Jets from scoring. It just doesn't exist. And, it, and the, the problem you get into is if you shift help elements, and usually when you're four-man rushing, that means you've got two. If you shift two help elements, um, hey, you kind of put some people on islands that Maybe you're better not putting them on that island. Maybe you'll defend them just fine if you don't give them extra space by moving and sliding help elements around on the defense. So maybe this is a week uh, that you'll see more two-shell because you just don't want to give up big plays against these guys. You think that you're better to cover them in the low areas, and you don't need to be sliding around chess pieces. So I say this to say that we're not talking likely about a week about taking away the best couple things they do or the best two players. I think it's a more defending plays, not players. Defend the plays, not the players. So it's back to sort of training camp frame of mind where you're not game planning for a specific uh, player. You're game planning for a concept. It's like here's their favorite route concept in such and such, and we do not want to give away that route concept. Or when they get into this sort of down and distance or this area of the field, these kind of things, we're defending this concept, not this player. So it's a big study week. It's a big, what are they like in tendencies? What, you know, what are their tendencies in this down and distance in this part of the field? What are their tendencies when they flip personnel group uh, in this particular situation? They're doing it for a reason. We're going to defend this. I think that's where the conversation goes most likely with Matt Patricia and with, with Coach Belichick this week, and probably wisely so, because you just don't want to overcommit yourself to anything here and open up big plays to an offense that has a hard time coming up with them themselves. The final point here on defending this Jets offense is something that came up in the Browns game, so thinking back two weeks ago, and knowing that the Patriots have the history of struggling with the Struggling with the goofy bunch of stuff, you know, back to the Kansas City, back to Houston, back to Carolina, and the, the air quote miscommunication stuff. You think you put that to bed a little bit with, with Tampa, but you shouldn't just presume it gone because Tampa doesn't do much of the stuff with pre-snap movement and building of bunches and stacks. stacks. They don't do that with all the misdirection that those other offenses you face do. And neither do the Jets, and that's, Im that's important to note. There's almost no pre-snap movement, not a lot of motions, not a lot of shifts, not a lot of building of things on one side that weren't there when the play first began. They don't do much of that, but there was one play in the Cleveland game that basically amounted to the biggest offensive play of the game for the Jets where they ran a fake screen. Uh, so they had trips bunch, which means three guys. Trips mean three. Three guys extended to one side of the formation, and they're in a bunch. So that means the three are kind of in close proximity to one another. And one of the three people in the bunch steps back 
as if they're going to run a screen in that bunch. And then as the defense is reacting to what they think is screen, one of the three guys leaks out. I believe it was a back. I don't remember the personnel in that particular spot. But someone leaks out for it. There's a completely uncovered dude out in space. And it's a big game-breaker play. What is it? Miscommunication, right? So the Jets have done that step back, leak a guy out kind of thing uh, that you know Carolina did to them. So I think they'll be repping those kinds of plays to say, hey, just play your keys. Don't don't jump away from your coverage to go try to take care of a screen. Stay it, play it, do it honest. It's one of those weeks, and I imagine obviously the Jets knowing that the Patriots have had that problem and them having a little success with themselves. They don't like to pre-snap move a lot. They don't. They want to keep things stable so Josh gets a clean picture of what the defense is doing. This is not a shift in motion. This is not like old Brian Schottenheimer, who's now now obviously not with the Jets. Uh, he's moved along two stops since now, I think. But he was a big pre-snap motion. Motion across, you know, shift, build things to confuse defenses. They don't really do that. They can put in a player two or three to try to try to create that because no, the Patriots have a problem with it. But I think this is another week again where if you, you, you get their one little gadget game plan thing covered up two, three, four plays in, you're not going to see them rely on that. You're not going to see 15 plays of it that you got to get right. Show that you got it, and they'll go back to what they do most, which is try to run the football and get play action shots off it and win from play action or from field position flips that their defense gives them. So now let's sort of flip to the other side of the ball here as we as we wrap the show up. It's important here with the with the Jets defense to sort of understand who they are uh, and distinguish them a little bit from previous seasons. We know Sheldon Richardson's gone in the trade. Really enigmatic player, a guy that can disrupt things, but a guy that can be disruptive to his own team and locker room. That's word I've heard out of there from people I know down there. It wasn't necessarily a – it might have been a physical loss, but sometimes just because you lose a good football player doesn't mean that the defense necessarily gets worse. I think they they feel good about their group now, maybe even more so than when they had Sheldon. At least that's what I've heard. That's what the birdie has told me. But anyway, uh, they they uh, they're tough, man. I think you have to respect this Jets group. It's not exceptionally talented. They have two new high draft picks though on the back end. That's probably the new seed that we'll see if we're talking about this team two years from now or a year from now and, and where they've sort of planted their talent. Uh, they've got a, Adams at uh, one of the safety positions. And, oh, man, don't bring up the names and not have them in front of you, dum-dum. Uh, let me get the other guy. Who's the other guy? The other safety. Yeah, Jamal Adams, we know him, uh, is a first-rounder. And then Marcus May. Uh, so you, two new guys in the back ends. Adams, your box guy at the safety spot, the strong safety spot. And your your floater on the back end is May. Uh, but both guys have made plays so far, at least in the couple games I've watched. So both guys looks like sort of, uh, hey, those they've got a couple nice new things. But why do I point them out first and foremost when talking about Jets' defense? Because you got Brady back there at quarterback. And whenever he has two youth, and it doesn't come up often, but when you get maybe a a first-year and a second-year player back there or you get a new free agent that's new in the system early and a rookie, when you get a combination of youth at both safety spots, expect a lot of look-offs. Expect a lot of misdirection, maybe with fakes, uh, you know, the fake one direction, move something back the other, or deep pocket plays where he spends one, you know, two-count, three count staring down one side with his real intention to go backside look for that stuff today be a really educated viewer of this game and i think you'll enjoy knowing that hey why is tom doing that you know why is tom doing the shoulder faint stuff you know really using the shoulder to sort of fake and move because he's got two inexperienced players at the two really important coverage spots the middle of the field safety if they're running that kind of d on a particular call where he wants to move him out of there because he wants to clear space for Gronk or he wants to clear space for Hogan or he wants to clear space for Danny Amendola, whatever it is. He needs to move that guy, and the guy that he wants to move doesn't have a ton of experience, uh, sort of the pro pace with a quarterback like Brady. And you look at the quarterbacks that, that the Jets defense has seen thus far, neither of those two safeties have seen anything like Tom. Derek Carr's a nice young player. He's nowhere near the stratosphere of Tom. So that's going to be sort of, I think, one of the cool inside stories to watch. How well does Tom Brady move the safeties? And and the down safety, that just might be moving him out of a zone, you know, uh, or moving him off coverage with the tight end that he wants to fit it into, or maybe, who knows, involving uh, Dwayne Allen here. I know it's it's become sort of a not a top-ten issue for the offense. He's, he's sort of out of it with, with – uh, 
as sort of being a priority. But again, if you start moving safeties around as you like them, if you can manipulate manipulate them, I think that creates opportunities for the other tight end, you know, to find that vacancy. So keep an eye on that. That I think that'll be sort of a first and foremost safety moving because you got two young guys in there. Uh, the other thing is, I always kind of go back to this. Uh, it, it's it's from later in my career. Uh, uh, and and obviously now whenever the Patriots faced Houston, it was the weeks where they'd use the tennis rackets in practice because Houston was so good at batting balls at the line of scrimmage, Watt and Jadavian Clowney. That's relevant this week because I think one of the best things the defensive front for the Jets do is they they they, they sort of have trees. You know, with both the combination of Wilkerson, Mo Wilkerson and uh and Williams from USC, the other top top draft pick there on the inside. They're both long relatively lean. These aren't big, heavy guys, but they bat a lot of passes down and they get a lot of porch push. So they're, they're not too far up the field guys. Neither of those two are speed guys necessarily. They're athletic big men, but it's more, can you get the ball through the trees and can you keep them out of Tom's lap? So it's kind of like the old, you know, get their hands down. Maybe you'll see more cutting up front to try to chop these down to sort of, uh, you know, clear branches for Brady so he can complete some of those passes. Uh, But, you know, again, sort of, that's that's a really big factor and it's not keeping them from pressuring him keeping them from sacking him it's keeping them from disrupting the lanes that he'd like to go with the ball so sometimes you may see Tom pull it down and it may not be a matter of didn't like what he saw downfield it's just he didn't have the sort of ventricle or whatever the hell the, the word tunnel or whatever to throw through to get to where he wanted to go and those two guys as you watch defense especially the end zone copy they're pretty good at it they're pretty good at following the quarterback's eyes and getting long in his face so less so of what's downfield prevents the throw it's what's in front of him and uh, that's something that this offensive line is going to have to do you got to get those two big bodies out of the way and keep them from ruining what what Brady wants to do with the ball uh, the other big thing that's that's very important here, and it's that's a, become a much more deliberate defense as I see it. The Jets have. It's not. This is not Rex Ryan time. This is not you know uh, crazy pressure packages, dramatic change week to week. You know where you're dropping nine and rushing two, or the next week you're rushing seven guys or something crazy. This is more vanilla vanilla pressure. And they they sit for their, wait for their spots and then and then they take them. So you're going to see something normal, something normal where it's just four man rush, cover, four man rush and cover, four man rush and cover, uh, safety blitz, four man rush and cover, four man rush and cover, corner blitz. That's sort of and I don't it's not it's not a two then one two then one. It might be three then one three then one or four then one. But it's a few plays of vanilla, a few plays of keep them to modest gains, and then take your shots. That's that's kind of what this defense is. Uh, buster screen at the cornerback position, coming off a corner blitz from the inside, sort of playing inside corner, and then rushing, sort of doing a good job of disguising and getting a play. Uh, he had one against Jacksonville. Uh, Adams from sort of one of the safety spots, uh, you know, sitting, 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 and then timing it really well. I thought Adams actually came off as a really nice – I was like, wow, who's that? Dude? Oh, that's the rookie, a nice timing there. Um, so, again – those plays were generally preceded by non-pressure plays. So that's going to be on Tom to sort of manipulate the clock. Who knows how loud it's going to be there in MetLife. Um, you know, the Jets, not a lot of enthusiasm around this team, but now that they've got themselves to three and two, maybe it ends up being, and you got the Patriots coming to town, maybe it ends up being a little wilder environment where Brady isn't able to manipulate the clock. But it's, there's some noise there, like you remember from sort of, years of old, where it could have been, it could be a very difficult place to play. So we will see. But, I think that's very important, and, and those pressure issues are different than traditional, can you block the, the four down? Can you block the four down with protection? That's a different question than can you pick up the pressure package. Pre- pressure package is sort of guessing where that fifth man's going to come, and a lot of times that's just Brady fitting it in to the to the receiver that's going to go behind where the guy comes from. Um, so that's on Tom as much as the protection or, or, or even then the back becoming the guy that gets the fifth pickup can James White or can Dion Lewis or can Gillisley if he's in there for that role or, or Rex Burkhead, which I think we're now going to see more this week. I think that's an exciting sort of under the radar element. Can Burkhead come in and have a big role, but those guys become very important in blitz pickup because the fifth is usually picked up by backer tight end or, or potentially an uncovered inside if it's an inside blitz, but you don't see as much of those. So, again, I think if you 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 gash them when they're vanilla, and you keep them from gashing you on the moments that they take chances, that's the best way to keep this group down. One final point here on sort of where I think you attack this Jets defense after study 
it's it's really back production, and uh, that has been that was an issue for them against Jacksonville with both Fournette and, Fournette having a huge game, and Ivory having producti- productivity as well when he got his moments. Chris Ivory, Chris Ivory, obviously the old the old Jet, uh, but then also Duke Johnson in the in the Browns game. Duke had Duke had a big game, and some of that, and I'd say basically the way that these three guys had uh, those three, or at least those two games, where the back stuff showed up most, it was in screen game, it was in checkdowns of the back. And it was edge running, uh, sort of, and edge running. Who's your edge runner? That's Mike Gillisley. He's your guy that get to the corner quickly, one plant, get downhill, make someone miss on that first edge cut, and try to bust it for twelve. You know, as opposed to the four. So I, I think you'll see the edge stuff because it's been an issue for them the last couple of weeks. I think the Patriots will game plan to try to hit that stuff early. Again, just a guess, but I think that's where one of the vulnerabilities is. Something you need to hit on to create those play action situations for for Brady to then move safeties. Uh, the other thing is, for whatever reason, they've hit some right over center. So directly over center, which ends up being kind of trap stuff, where the center kind of lets the guy, you know, lets the guy over the nose take a gap, and you move him to to go back to the gap at his butt cheeks, whatever that would be. So he dives and when the, the the tackle over you dives into one gap left of the center, and he lets him go there and lets him get upfield and moves him, and you find these sort of whew, hits it fast right downhill, right in those a gaps over center, and go for a big run. Uh, so those are really kind of your things when the back game, and I think in the back's going to be heavily involved. Screens, edge runs, the check down stuff, so the, the runs right over center. I guess that's four. Um, but why do I think that's so important? I mean, and I, I think this is begun, going to become a bigger part of the Patriots, you know, I guess it's the last three quarters of the season that we've got going here, uh, almost two-thirds, I guess, because we're at week six. But anyway, you invested that way, and I think that's important to note. The Patriots invested in running backs. They they spent, I think, second highest on that position in the NFL. You got four good ones. I think they need to become a similarly heavy portion in your pro- productivity. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of cooks. Hopefully that grows like I talked about earlier. Yeah, Amendola is going to keep being nails. He's a, he's a got-to-have-it-moment guy. Hogan's going to keep having these sneaky big games. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a week-in, week-out thing, but he's so reliable, and he can be an explosive play guy for you as well. Yeah, Gronk's always going to be Gronk, but, man, I don't think with the, with the continued sort of health questions – um, you know, if he's going to be a, a, a heaviest target guy, I think he can be a great best tight in the game, but that's a second, second option, dude, because you've spent so heavily on the backs. I think run game can become huge for you. That'll take any pressure off Brady you want it. You're worried about him not getting hit? Make sure there's a play action element in every single play. Make sure there's a lot more run, run carries in the game otherwise. Last week was an over 20 carry game and over 100 yards against Tampa, so it's not like they're not trying it. I think that can even increase a little bit more. It takes pressure off for everyone. It takes pressure off Gronk having to run routes all day takes pressure off Brady having to be drop back guy all day takes pressure off the wide receiver group that's a little bit thin in the absence of Julian Edelman uh, to, to have to go out and you know have 45 pass days to those guys get the backs heavily involved one way or the other and I think that opens up things for the offense and makes you make good on the investment which we always love that so and that's all for our show this week uh, got deep into it here with uh, with a review of Tampa, slightly so, but then more so focusing on the upcoming opponent in the Jets. I think it's a pretty defined formula with how you have to approach them. Needs to be mitigating mistakes week, uh, both in penalties, which are ugly against Tampa, but then also in the defensive mistake stuff, and then also in the pickup stuff for the, the offense. Can't allow big plays to happen for you with sloppy play. It's not Thursday. You've got a long week. I think we expect a lot less of those. But thank you so much for, as you always do, checking into this show, becoming a fan of the show, continuing to share the program, spread the good word for us. We want to be sort of that that hub, that place you go when you know you need to know what's going on with your team. Get yourself as educated as you possibly can going into it. We'll do the research for you and just share it so you know what to look for in the game. We want to be that place for you to come, and we love when you plant your roots with us. Thanks once again. That was the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Enjoy the game this week. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.